The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. A community group leader in our church told me that he had sat down with his community group and he asked them the question, what part of Christmas are you most looking forward to? And the predominant response was, it being over. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So I think there's a lot of people who would say, my favorite part of Christmas is when it is over. You know, we, we walk around and we use the greeting, Merry Christmas. Jason said it this morning. I heard it a lot out there. But a lot of times Christmas isn't so merry, is it? I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, I was the youngest of five kids, which is reason enough for Christmas not to be all that merry. But my older brother, Scott, we were off of school and we had time to kill. And so he was messing around with me. And I remember my brother, Scott, grabbing me by the ankles and hanging me over the balcony of the stairs uh, at our home. And I remember looking down at the stairs thinking, if he drops me, I'm going to break my neck and I won't see Christmas And I remember yelling, help, help. And my dad comes and he looks and he chuckles and says, what do you want me to do? Tell him to let you go. And so that Christmas, I was so mad. I was so angry that I literally got my brother for Christmas a lump of coal. Christmas is not always all that merry, is it? This third Sunday of Advent, we have a candle lit to to focus on the joy of Christmas, but there are many things that can rob our Christmas joy. It could be a family frustration with a brother or a sister. It could also be unmet expectations. You know, we have these, this idea of what we want Christmas Day to be like, right? We want it to be a day in which everything is perfect. We have the perfect family breakfast, and then we go and we open up the perfect presents. The kids are thankful for every gift. Oh, dad, oh, mom, how great you are for giving me this present, right? And your husband or your wife gets you that perfect Christmas present. And you have that perfect Christmas family photo. And then angels are flying around in the air and dust is coming down with glitter all over it. And there's Christmas music booming. And these are the expectations, the hopes and dreams we have for Christmas Day, but then it collides with reality, right? And so December 26th, people are moody and grumpy because December 25th didn't live up to their expectations. There are many things that can steal our Christmas joy. It could be family friction. It could be unmet expectations. It could be the loss of someone that you love. My good friend heard from his mother this week, She said, you know, I'm going to take a break from church for a while. And he said, why? And she said, well, you know, when I go to church and I hear all those Christmas songs, they remind me of my deceased husband. He loved Christmas songs. And it is just so sad for me to go and hear those. There are many things that can steal our Christmas joy. Each and every one of you have something in your life. Christmas could be a reminder that you are husbandless, wifeless, childless, jobless, that you are maybe hopeless or helpless or even joyless. And so today we want to look and see how can we have Christmas joy. You see, beneath all of those things that steal our Christmas joy, there is one reason in particular, one thing that allows our Christmas joy to be stolen. And it's that we have taken the extraordinary truths of Christmas and we have made them ordinary in our hearts. We've taken the extraordinary truths of Christmas and we've made them ordinary in our hearts. 
Pastor Tim Keller gives this illustration, which was really helpful for me and convicting. He said he went to go visit a family, and he sat down, and they lived 10 feet from a railroad track. And Tim was in there, and he was talking to the family, and all of a sudden there was this whoosh and boom. And Pastor Tim says to the son, what was that? To which the son replied, what was what? And he said, how do you sleep through that? And the son said, sleep through what? You see, the extraordinary became so very ordinary to this son, to this child, to this family. Has the extraordinary truths of Christmas become ordinary to you? Have you lost your joy in Christmas? Have you become complacent towards the whoosh and boom of the extraordinary claims of Christmas? When we let the extraordinary truths of Christmas become ordinary, do we allow many other situations, many other things to steal our Christmas joy? So today, I want to remind you and me of the extraordinary truths of Christmas, that our hearts would overflow with the joy of Christmas, and that it would be so weighty, so strong, that the trials, the frustrations of this world cannot topple it, cannot steal it, cannot take it away. If you would please open up to Luke chapter 1. If you're in the Red Bible, it is page 856. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 1243. If you need a Bible and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and I will ask Dick Hassler to to bring him one. Um, Does anyone need a Bible and not have one? It's okay if you don't. You don't need to be shamed. Okay. So it's page 856 in the Red Bible, page 1243 in the Children's Bible. And this... um, What we're going to look at is an expression of joy. One way that we express our joy is through song. You know, when you're in love, you sing love songs. When someone's birthday, you sing a birthday song. Today, we are going to see the very first Christmas carol, the very first. It's called the Magnificat, and it's sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what we will see is it is an explosion of joy that has welled up from inside her. She starts the song saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Every ounce of her is overjoyed by the truce of Christmas. Commentator J.C. Rao says that Mary's song, in Mary's song, she gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in our heart. And so what are the truths that she treasured? Would those be truths that we treasure? Because if we do, if they are true, they would lead to an overflowing joy. Now, this song was written by Mary, who was probably around 13 years old at the time. And so I thought, hey, it would be really cool to have a 13-year-old pregnant girl come read this. However, I don't know of any, but I do know a 13-year-old girl. So I asked Emma if she would come and read Mary's song to us this morning. And as she reads it to us, let's see what this 13-year-old pregnant theologian has to teach us about Christmas. Thank you. Luke 1, 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Amen. Keep your Bibles open. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dig into this first Christmas hymn, this first hymn of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a 13-year-old girl, May the truths that exploded in her heart explode in ours. May we have an overflowing joy this Christmas season as we consider the extraordinary truths of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dig into Mary's song, some of you might be thinking, you know what? I would have great joy too if an angel appeared to me and told me I was going to be pregnant with God's son. But you know, the reality is, Mary's situation wasn't so hopeful at the time. In fact, if anyone had a reason not to sing at Christmas, it was Mary. If anyone had a reason not to rejoice, it was Christmas. As you back up in Luke chapter 1, you see in verse 31, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now Mary doesn't respond with his great ecstatic joy at first. In verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary is confused. She is bewildered. The angel senses her hesitations. And so he gives this confirmation in verse 36. He says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary is a young pregnant teenage girl. We, th- we know even in today's society, if a 13-year-old girl was pregnant, how difficult it would be. If I'm not mistaken, I think there's a show on MTV called Teen Mom. I've never seen it, but I think it shows the reality of the hardships of how difficult it is to be a young woman pregnant. It would have been so much more difficult in Mary's time than even our time. A pregnant, unwed mother would potentially and probably face a ruined and desolate life. Mary had no reason to believe that her fiancé, Joseph, would stay with her. As a matter of fact, we read in other places in the scripture that he intended to divorce her until an angel came along. And so Mary had no right to believe that Joseph would remain with her. As a matter of fact, she had no right to believe that anyone would ever marry her because she was damaged goods. And if she didn't have a husband, she would be living on the, on, on, the, on, the, on the edge of poverty the rest of her life. That is, of course, if she was allowed to live. Adultery was a capital offense. She could be stoned for it. And so you see, Mary had many reasons not to rejoice at the Christmas message. She had many reasons not to sing at the Christmas message. Her life, for all she knew, was now over. She was confused bewildered. But then, when the truths of Christmas break through to her heart, she is overjoyed. She comes to her aunt Elizabeth, I think it's her aunt, and we read in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, which was John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, 
voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed and there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Up to this time, Mary had surrendered to the Lord. She had submitted to the Lord. She had given her life to the Lord. But it isn't until she visits Elizabeth, is reminded of the truth of Christmas, that she explodes in joyful song. And so we're going to look at the song. Look at the Magnificat. And there are three truths that Mary sings about that makes her explode with joy. These are three truths, like the three legs of a stool. Without one of them, it all falls apart. Each is essential for us to grasp in the depth of our soul if we are going to have this soul-satisfying joy this Christmas. The three truths are this. Christmas means God is mindful. Christmas means God is mighty. And Christmas means God is merciful. First, Christmas means God is mindful. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For, meaning because of, for this reason, he has looked at my humble estate, at the humble estate of his servant. Just prior to the Gospels, you see there's this break in the word of God. There are 400 years before between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and when the angel appears, appears to Zechariah and then to Mary. For 400 years, the people of God are wondering, where is God? Why is God silent? Has God abandoned us? Has God forgotten about us? Has God given up on us? Have we run too far away? Have we been too sinful, too rebellious? Or is God still mindful of us. Christmas reminds us that even when God is silent, God is still mindful of his people. God still remembers his people. God still dwells and thinks of his people. He looks on the humble estate of his people. Mary sings because she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was of humble estate for many reasons. Mary probably would not have been the woman most of us would have picked to, be, to birth the Savior of the world. Mary was extremely poor. We see in the next chapter that when her and Joseph go and offer sacrifice at the temple for the baby, as they're commanded to do, they're supposed to go and offer a lamb. But there's a provision made in the Old Testament that for the poorest of the poor, they could, they could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph does. They were humble in their economic level, and their social level. They were humble geographically. They were in Nazareth. The question was asked when Jesus started his ministry, can anything good come from Nazareth? They weren't from Judea. They weren't from Jerusalem. They were from Nazareth. They were also, Mary also knew that she was in a humble estate spiritually. Verse 47 She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now let's think about this. What sort of people need a Savior? If you are out in the middle of a lake, who needs a Savior, right? Only the person that can't swim to shore. 
If you can swim to shore, if you can make it yourself, you don't need a Savior. You can be your own Savior. Mary is identifying that she needs a Savior. She needs her Savior to be God. She's acknowledging that her sin has separated her from God and that she needs a Savior. She needs God to come and save her from her sins. And so Mary was in a humble estate, both economically, socially, even spiritually. And yet God was mindful of her. How many of you have heard of a young girl named Presley Collins from Colorado? Has anyone heard of Presley Collins? Not one person. Okay. Nobody had heard of Presley Collins. Presley was a young girl who suffered from neurofibromatosis which causes tumor in the brains, is in, in the spinal cord and under the skin. She had gone, undergone many surgeries and had the scars to prove it. She had gone through much suffering. She was in a very humble estate, to put it lightly. And no one had heard of her outside of her family and her friends until her first date. Her first date was with an NFL superstar to the Cartoon Network Hall of Game Awards. On that day... Tim Tebow, who played for the Denver Broncos at the time, picked her up and took her on a date to the Cartoon Network Hall, excuse me, Hall of Game Awards. And her dad said that his little girl, who had been in so much pain for so long, for an entire weekend, never stopped smiling. She details the event and talks about how mindful he was of her, how she, he took her to the chocolate bar at the break, how he, how he introduced her to all of these superstars. And then when he dropped her off, said, thank you for being such a great date. Well, this story exploded on local and national newscasts. Why? Because an NFL superstar was mindful of a girl that nobody knew. An NFL superstar may never know your name, but Christmas means that God does. An NFL superstar may never be mindful of you or take you on a date, But Christmas means God is mindful of you. That the holy, almighty God of the universe has not forgotten about you. He has not been distracted from your humble estate, from your suffering. God knows you by name. He has not forgotten you. And that's proven in the incarnation when God became man. Christmas means that God is mindful of you. Secondly, Christmas means that God is mighty. Later in her song, Mary kind of recalls the mighty works of God that we see in the Old Testament. Verse 51, she sings, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. (coughs) Just in our study of Genesis as far as we've studied it over the last few years, we've seen the mighty power of God. God created everything from nothing. He created everything from nothing. I can't even put together, you know, like a tinker toy set. God put together the entire universe from nothing, displaying his power and his might. God wiped out creation with a flood and started over with the family of Noah, showing his might. When, when the people tried to build a tower, Tower of Babel, to reach up to heaven to show how great they were, God confused the languages and scattered them, showing how mighty he was. God crushes Sodom and Gomorrah, displaying his might. We see later 
when, when his people of God are in Egypt, God takes down the great empire of the world by sending 10 plagues upon them and dividing the Red Sea. We have a mighty God that we serve. And yet the most mighty thing that God ever did, the greatest expression of his might, might just be Christmas. You see, Mary understands God's might throughout history, but she also understands how mighty it is for God to become a baby. You know, it's interesting. In verse 49, she sings, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Where did she get that? You know, I never noticed this before, but earlier when the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you are, you're pregnant with a child. And she says, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And then verse 35, the angel responds like this. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, not the presence, not the love, the power of God, the Most High, will overshadow you. And therefore, because of this, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Christmas means that God is so powerful, that God is so mighty, that he can make himself next to nothing. God is so powerful, he can make himself a little bitty pinprick big infant in the womb of a 13-year-old girl. The uncreated creator can make himself into a created being. God knew the only way he could save his people, is to send himself in human form. You know, we start out by saying that it is good news that God is mindful of us, right? And that is good news. But it's not good news if God is not mighty to accomplish his purposes. Let me give this example. Paul Harvey tells the story of a man who one night, during an intense snowstorm, was sitting by the fire, reading his newspaper, when all of a sudden he heard a thud, and then another thud. And another thud. He thought that perhaps somebody, some teenagers were out front throwing snowballs at his window. <coughs> and so he goes outside to see what's going on. And he sees there huddled in the snow, this flock of birds. They were trying to escape the winter storm. And so they tried coming in through his window, his landscape window several times. Thud, thud, thud. Well, the man was mindful of them. He didn't want them to freeze. He thought, you know what, I will take them to my barn where they can ride out the storm. It's warm, it's peaceful, it's calm. And so he goes over to the barn and he opens the doors wide open, turns on the light and says to the birds, come on, come on. Nothing, right? They don't know what they're doing. And so he took breadcrumbs and he tried to, you know, lead them into the barn. Still nothing, they wouldn't follow. Then he tried to catch the birds and take them into the barn. But they, they fled from him. And then he tried to shoo them in, but they just scattered everywhere. The man was mindful of him, of them. And then he thought to himself, if only I could become a bird. If only I could become a bird, then I could mingle with them. Then I could speak their language. Then I could show them the way to this safe and warm barn. You see, this man was mindful of the birds. He cared about the birds. But this man did not have the power in might to become a bird. Do you see that? Christmas displays the power and might of God. Not only is God mindful of you, but God is mighty enough to become one of you, to become one of us. What a great and powerful God we worship, that he could become a man. But you know what? 
That's still not enough. Those two truths, apart from the third, do not lead us to joy. They actually lead us to great fear. The final truth is that Christmas means God is merciful. Now you may say, how does Christmas mean that God is merciful? Well, if you look at every other religion, do you know how their God saves them? Their God sends them a prophet like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius to show them how they should think, how they should act, what they should do, how they should worship. And they have to do all of these things and follow all of these rules, hoping and praying that their good outweighs their bad and that God will be pleased with them. And so he sends them a moral instructor to teach them how to please God. But you know what? Christmas is radically different. Please do not say every religion is the same. You can't say that with an intellectual understanding. Christmas, sorry, Christianity is far different because of Christmas. You see, God did not merely send a prophet to man. God sent himself to become a man. See, the problem was so bad. Your sin and my sin was so bad that he couldn't merely send someone to say, hey, do this a little bit better. Hey, do that a little better. God knew that our sin was so bad that he needed to send a savior, not a moral example, not a teacher to tell us how to do things better. He needed to send a savior. Verse 49 ends by saying, and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. What is mercy? Mercy is very simply not getting the punishment you deserve. Every one of you, including myself, deserve the punishment of God. We read that the wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned against God. None of us are perfect. All of us have chased after other gods. All of us have disobeyed God. But the good news is that God is merciful. You see, God is in this divine dilemma. He's in this divine dilemma. On one part, he is holy, right? The end of verse 49 says he is holy. Holy means that he never sins, that he cannot tolerate sin, that he always has to punish sin because he's just. But on the other side, God wants to be merciful. He wants to show love and compassion towards his people. And so there is this tension. How can mercy and justice live together? Because God wants to show love and grace to him, but he has to punish the sins of his people. Otherwise, he would not be just. And so how can God be both merciful and just? And the answer is Christmas. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, the only man ever to live without sin. And then at the cross, took on our sin and our punishment. The justice that God needs to take out on you, he has taken out on our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has paid for your sin in full, that God could now show you mercy. Now, how do we get that mercy? There's an interesting line in this song. Before verse 50, Mary's kind of talking about God's grace to her and her relationship with him. After verse 50, he's talking about God historically throughout the nation of Israel. But then in verse 50, Mary seems to reach down the corridor of time to give us a message. She says this in verse 50, and his mercy is for those 
who fear him from generation to generation. Those who know the death of their sin, those who know that they can never be good enough for God, those who know that they need a savior, those who fear the justice of God and turn to God for salvation. God's mercy is not for those who seek to prove their worthiness before God. God's mercy is not for those who depend on their own goodness, but it's for those who confess their own badness, who confess their own unworthiness. God's mercy is for those who see their sin, fear God, are humbled, and plead for mercy. Do not cry out to God for justice. You do not want justice. You want mercy. There's a story of a mother who approached Napoleon and she was seeking a pardon for her son. I think it was for some form of treason. And the emperor replies to the young, that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and that justice demanded death. The mother replied, she said, but I do not ask for justice. I plead for mercy. To which Napoleon says, but your son does not deserve mercy. And she says, sir, it would not be mercy if my son deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. To which the emperor replied, then mercy you shall have. You see, this woman knew that Napoleon was mindful, right? He knew the sin. He knew the state of her son. She knew that Napoleon was powerful, that he had the right to kill her son or to save him. But what she didn't know and what she pleaded for was mercy. She knew her son deserved death. She knew he deserved it. And that's why she didn't say, you know what? His good outweighs his bad. He's been a pretty good kid, but he just had this minor lapse of moral character. No, she pleads for mercy because mercy is what he needs. What about you? Are you proud of your goodness? Are you proud of what a good guy or a great woman you are? Do you look to yourself as a savior? Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty. James 4, 6 puts it more succinctly. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are proud of yourself, of your goodness, the God of the universe opposes you. But if you are humbled by your sin, if you fear the justice of God, and you turn to God for your salvation, then grace and mercy are yours. Let me end with this. There's another Christmas carol. That came about more recently, and it's honestly more, more famous than the Magnificat. And the Christmas carol is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And if you look through that song, it's interesting because Santa Claus in the song possesses a lot of the attributes of God. You know, Santa Claus is mindful. He knows all things. You know, he knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. A little bit creepy. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, right? Santa knows what's going on. He's mindful. And matter of fact, Santa's also kind of mighty. In one version of the song, it says, Santa's a busy man. He has no time to play. He's got millions of stockings to fill on Christmas Day. Santa can deliver all of these presents all over the world for everybody. You know, sadly... We make God into a cosmic Santa Claus many times. We know that God is mindful, that he knows all things. 
We know that he is mighty, that he can enact his justice. But you see, none of that is good news unless we know that God is merciful. We don't have joy unless God shows mercy to sinners. God is not only mindful of you. God is not only mighty for you. But God is also merciful to you if you fear him. Do you want a Christmas joy that this world cannot touch? A Christmas joy that outweighs any tragedy that comes into your life? Remember that God did not leave you in your helpless estate, but he sent a Savior that he might pour out his love and mercy and grace upon those who fear him. No one can take you that, that away from you. It is a gift from God for you to have forever. And so let me end just by asking, what if it's all true? What if the Christmas story is true? What if the incarnation is true? What if these extraordinary truths are true? What would that do to our heart? What would that do to our life? To know that Christmas means God is mindful of you. That God is mighty for you. And that God is merciful to you if you fear him. Would not Mary's song be our song? Would we not sing? Would we not proclaim? My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful that you are not just mighty, that you are not just mighty, mindful, that you are not just merciful, but you are all of these, God. And Christmas is a manifestation of these attributes of you, and they are a reason for great joy that you think of us. Who are we that you would think of us, that you would be mindful of us? Who are we that you would display your might by becoming a baby? Who are we that you would be merciful to us and send your son to the cross to die on our behalf? Lord, we have great reason for joy this Christmas. I pray that the extraordinary truths of Christmas would not be ordinary in our hearts, but that we would delight in them and rejoice in them and sing over them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.